Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We have got listener's choice number 20. So uh, while we were just talking, we've got to be close to episode number 100. So we're going to research for that. Research that. And uh, maybe it's the next episode. It could be this episode. Uh, But we appreciate everybody uh, listening. We appreciate the show ideas. Bobby, when I was uh, driving back from Austin yesterday, I got a call from a friend who said, uh, you guys need to do um, a series or a listener's choice on how to kick off the new fiscal year strong. So, as always, we appreciate show ideas. That always is uh, helpful to us as we uh, continue to build this out. Awesome. I might have to write that episode or that series. Indeed, indeed. So, today is all about forecasting. Um, this has been one that's uh, it's been on our list to do for a long time. It's one that we get a question on quite a bit. So, it's Forecasting 101, and we're going to approach it from two different angles. And this is it's a good timing too because it comes off the back of evaluation plans. If you don't have a good evaluation plan, it's time to get that in order before we start thinking about how and when are we going to forecast this deal. And we're going to look at it from two different angles. The first angle is what what's on the mind of the sales leader because if it was up to us, we probably wouldn't forecast anything. Like what was the, what would be the point of doing that? So we're going to kind of give you a, a perspective from the sales leader uh, from the company itself about you know why and where it's important. And then second, we're going to talk about how to excel at it. Yeah, don't you think that many many of us at some point or maybe always refuse to update CRM tools? I mean, it seems seems as an individual contributor that it's just worthless, that I'm just being measured and managed, um, and I don't have all the answers, so I'm just going to just omit that part of my day updating CRM. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We've got it on our calendars uh, here. It's every Tuesday. Um, now, of course, for... For hot deals and moving deals, <clears throat> expectations are that we have updates in daily. Um, but at a minimum, every deal for the next six months are done every Tuesday. Uh, same for the sales leaders as well. And I know that you're a sales leader and there's other sales leaders that may be listening to this. But do sales leaders really look at those real-time updates or do they still just send a text and call like, you know, you're not, you're not going to, you know, you have to have CRM updated, but I'm still going to call you anyway. Cause I don't believe what you put in CRM. Right. I mean, I think we've created this culture of, yeah. you know, it, what's there's not really what we know because we know more. Right. And everybody's kind of afraid or time or tools prevent us from getting it up to date. I'm just a little jab at the sales leaders out there. It's true. It's true. And then I, I think what also makes it challenging is that, you know, when you're in the heat of a deal, especially let's say you're running kind of a longer term deal. When you're in the heat of that deal, you're getting updates over text oftentimes. Mm, yeah. Um, and to, to translate that into a, a system um, isn't, isn't possible at this point. There's some, it, we'll talk about it on this, on this episode, but there are some new interesting tools coming out here too, that I think is going to, they're going to start to change how forecasting is done as well. Tools like Clary, which uh, again, I'll talk about in a moment. Yeah, and I'm not a believer that AI can solve all these problems, but we'll see. Yeah, I'll let me let me see if I can change your mind on on a at a uh, macro level if yeah. if this could change things. All right, so why don't we start with what's on the mind of the sales leader when they think about uh, forecasts? So there's obviously organizational benefits. Um, publicly traded companies, even privately traded companies, certainly. 
Uh, so publicly is one that you know anybody can buy stock in. Uh, Wall Street has certain expectations of revenue that are reported and delivered quarterly. If you're in the United States, uh, most major markets anyway are quarterly uh, outside of the United States as well. Well, and the, I, I would say at Dell, well, at EMC, where there was a different mindset and the boxes we sold were very different than just a, a computer or server. Mm-hmm. You know, there were multi-million dollar storage arrays. And I don't think forecasting necessarily drove our supply and demand, but when we were acquired or merged with Dell, that, that mindset changed very differently. You know, Dell was built on Michael Dell's supply chain mindset, and that mindset and or those purchases came from what was sold on, on the phone or on the internet early on in the days of Dell. Like, they bought memory uh, four times a day. If you go back and read some of the early books on Dell, the trucks actually sat in the parking lot with memory mm-hmm. on them. And they would sell, you know, a thousand laptops in the morning, and those trucks would literally back up, and they would transact on that memory right then. It was just in time supply chain, which was genius, and made Dell what Dell actually has become today. And I think the EMCers in the room or in the in the offices really struggled with. You mean I'm going to have a a lead time problem with a multi million dollar storage array because I didn't forecast the exact capacity right for you and mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to go back and i just sold this and i'm gonna have to tell a customer they're gonna have to wait six weeks for their storage array to arrive that they just spent multi-millions of dollars on so it was a it was a transition for those emcers and i think if you can put yourself in those people's shoes in in the supply chain or in the building boxes group at your company whatever you're selling it truly is what drives how much they buy to build right it, it, it has to they can't just have too much on the floor yeah. What, I mean, what other, what other way can you do it? I mean, that, that is the way you do it. And it, it's also true for in, investors externally too. Like if you're, if you're, um, you know, in, in, if you want to invest in a company, you, you want uh, predictable growth. You have expectations of growth. All these tech companies, the ones we work for are trading at many multiples over their revenue. Um, you know, in many cases, 10 times what revenue is. And if your company is slowing growth or accelerating growth, that's going to change the multiple that you're that you're trading at, and that all that means is more. Uh, that means our stock is worth more. Um, so it's critically important that the CEO and the CFO and everyone understands kind of are we are we continue on on this trajectory, and even privately traded companies too, like they they have expectations of outside investors that they continue growth at a certain capacity. So. Obviously, your point, it has huge implications from a supply chain standpoint. It has huge implications from an investor standpoint. Um, marketing spend, too. You talk about how where, how, and where are we going to invest in products. Um, I'll tell you, if if growth slows, and you see this at, um, at there are many, some, many blue blood companies that are kind of starting to feel the effects of, of the attack of software as a service companies, um, and their growth has slowed to 1% or 2% per year. Their product innovation has slowed because where you know where are you going to find that money to spend on it? Mm. So this it's a huge part of what we do. And I, look, as a as an individual contributor seller, I I cared, but I didn't care about that necessarily. You know what I mean? I didn't. It was on my mind, but I I guess the purpose of sharing that was that there are there are broader implications, and these are very real implications. And I think sometimes it feels like more of a platitude than anything else when we say that we care about forecasting, but it's a real thing. 
Well, we could even go further from a sales leader perspective or a business mm-hmm. perspective on what what are they making decisions on, and, and it, mm-hmm. the the one that jumps to my head is is headcount. Uh, no pun intended, but I mean, I think you know, as a team leader today, you probably um, can your reps are probably held to some certain amount of revenue or some certain amount of deal deals in flight or some certain number of accounts. But if those if those production numbers went up significantly, that's why you would add a head or maybe a territory that started growing that doesn't have a person that lives in territory. Those things would all drive headcount as well, mm-hmm. which benefits the company. Sometimes could be a hindrance to other sellers. Obviously, they don't have quite the opportunity they had before, but that's what fuels the innovation and the growth and the marketing, which should benefit and help everybody um, and, and should be a win-win for everybody. Yep. So what else is on this, the mind of a sales leader? Um, I, they're held very accountable to this. I, I've worked for some companies to where the account executive is very accountable to uh, his or her forecast and somewhere the first line manager is. Um, and sometimes it's not to the until the VP level does it become uh, critically important. Um, but I would say by and large, most individual contributors are held tight to a to a forecast. But no, obviously the scale increases as that goes up. Um, you're, you know, it, it's a, the reason they want updates is because they're being requested updates. The reason they're being they're being requested updates is because that that sales leader is being held accountable. And it there are it's large compensation as as they go up. It is higher accountability. There's a reason that many sales leaders um, at the VP level turn over every three or four years. It, I think it's. I think we all know it's pretty rare for a VP to be in role for for much longer than that. It's it's because these are risky jobs that, uh, when the pipeline starts going south, it uh, culture is to blame sometimes, and and culture uh, manifests across not only how people feel about the job, but how hard they work at their job and, and drive pipeline. So it, these have huge implications for sales leaders. That's why they care so much about it. Yeah, and I think. Um, as we were talking through this, I think there's really two types of, of forecasters mm-hmm. um, that that really hurt a a sales leader. And if you're in one of these two buckets that we're going to talk about, you got to change your your ways and change your mindset. But I'll start with the, the the common phrase that that most of you may have heard called a sandbagger. It's somebody who holds some some good deals kind of captive or secret from their sales leader. They know there's something coming. They know there's a big order coming of some sort and they don't forecast it quite accurately so that it doesn't get there's a million reasons why these sandbaggers or or maybe you sandbag a particular deal um because it's too good to be true or whatever it might be but you, you probably are avoiding some scrutiny you're probably not wanting to be uh accounted for if it is a loss right uh, i can think of a million reasons but net net a sandbagger, somebody who probably has a million dollar quota, who probably forecasts half a million on that on that quarterly basis, and then they probably close one point five every time without fail, and mm-hmm. the managers and leaders of that 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 worker are just like, what in the heck, man? Can't why can't you do this better? And it, I think it's a mindset. Well, what what have you? I guess what have you seen, or what have your experiences been around the historical sandbagger, Brian? Well, I think we can all, as AEs, um, think of a thousand reasons why the deal may not close. And I think the concern, to your point, is that if it doesn't close and I forecast it, then I'm going to get crushed for, for doing that. So what's the point? If I can pull it in and be the hero, what's the point? 
And I think there there are times to where sandbagging is not really sandbagging, but it could be called sandbagging. That's where you maybe you're forecasting a deal, and then you got another deal that could come in, but there's some risk in the deal that you forecasted, and that's really just hedging more than anything else. But it, you're you're making your manager or leadership team aware that hey, we could we could potentially pull this in. Here's the path to do that, and then really it's just working together to understand. The, the company's culture because really every company culture is different. Uh, you have some companies to where, um, you know, they, they don't care that a deal gets pulled in. Um, they may be excited if a deal gets pulled in. So I think you really have to measure the company that you're, that you're working for and uh, being transparent about it is, is super crucial as a, as a sales director here, Bobby, when I, my first quarter was a learning lesson. And in fact, when I was over in London, when the, when I, you know, told the, the VP over there I was working for at the time that I was making the move back to the States. We, we sat down, had lunch, and she shared with me kind of how our company culture works and what was expected for me as a sales director and, and what how she talks to her sales director. So being able to have a candid conversation with, with your manager about, you know, what matters. And then we've all been, you know, it, it, again, you have to measure it because you it, one thing could be said, hey, no, it doesn't matter. You can forecast a risky deal. And then you miss that risky deal and you get crushed. That that's going to set your behavior going forward. Um, so I, th- there does need to be some balancing of kind of understanding what is the company culture and what are your expectations. No doubt. The, and since we're still on the topic of sales leader, it definitely it definitely is real that the sales leader does set the tone for mm-hmm. how and what does get flown flows uphill to that to that leader. The other type of role is, and and this is probably a little less common, but I'm sure we've all seen one. It's the overconfident seller, right? Sure. Um, I'm going to, you know, at the beginning of the quarter, they get asked, they, they might have a million dollar quota and they get asked to call their number and they say 2.2, I'm doing it, 2.2. And mm-hmm. then they they start talking through their deals and, and like a good sales leader can see that they might not do $202,000 in, mm-hmm. in sales because they don't have it. But it's just being too confident. And then I think what happens there is managers and, and the lower the lower level leaders start adjusting that forecast for them as it goes up, and they just can't ever quite adjust it enough, and and they impact all those leaders on that chain that just that they can never get they can't quite ever close what they say they're going to close, and it, both of those really do impact the overall forecast for organizations, and can impact delivery and everything else along the way. Yeah. There's there's almost a version B of that too, and that's the one that is always talking about this really healthy pel- pipeline that's to come. But mm-hmm. when it comes time for the quarterly forecast, they're kind of forecasting nothing too. Mm-hmm. So be be cognizant of that as well. It that's certainly measured. Yeah, I would um, say if you if you're an individual contributor and your leader and you are having a one on one and your leader asks to take a couple of accounts away from you that you have done nothing in for the last nine months. And you have this reaction of no, 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 don't take it. They're going to do something. Then I can assure you, you're not doing enough prospecting. Go back and listen to other episodes. You're uh, you should let the manager take them if you're not doing anything in them. And if you're holding on to them, then you're probably one of those two type sellers. Yeah, I agree. There, there's a lot of conversation. This is not just a probably a workday term, but your your digital brands is um, often dependent on this of. of how and, and where you forecast. This is very, very true, especially in larger sales organizations. You, Your boss's boss's boss may only know you through your updates in Salesforce 
or Dynamics CRM, whatever CRM tools that you use. Um, it's worth spending just a little bit of time making sure the notes are clean, making sure the next steps are clear. That it, I mean, literally, Bobby, what is that? A, if you're working eight deals, we're talking about 10 minutes here uh, once a week to just clean things up, make things look sharp, make sure things are in the right month, make, th- make sure things are in the right stage. That that's it's important. It's you're you're certainly measured on that internally. Well, if you're a field seller, you're having a weekly meeting or call of some sort. It's either the Monday meeting or something Friday afternoon where you guys are talking about all the deals or the ma- the managers asking you specifically. Hopefully, it's not your one on one, but you're talking through these deals. And I always put a tickler on my calendar that it, whatever that meeting is, it's it's a couple hours before that. At Dell EMC, we had ours at like 9 a.m. on Monday mornings. And I just had something on my calendar like 7 a.m. And I would spend that 10 or 15 minutes. It's not it's not terribly difficult. Um, even if you have to medic deals, it's a sales process or, or method for measuring deals. I would do medic on the big deals. I would update some notes. I would change probability, update quotes, whatever it was. Um, it's it's a 10 or 15 minute exercise to manage that. And my peers were in awe, like, how are you keeping up with all this? And it's just that the rigor of not letting it get so far out of hand that it is a true half day job to get it cleaned up. Just, just stick with it. It, it, yeah. will, it will help you and the leader. Yeah. We've, we've both worked at a company where Salesforce and it, it, you know, they weren't using Salesforce, but it was another CRM tool they were using to where that tool got completely out of control. Um, and it was just ignored at a mm-hmm. certain level, uh, which is shocking. But I, it's also important. This is very similar to this this topic. But you need to understand: is your forecast from your leadership team is it measured monthly or quarterly, <clears throat> and and why that matters to the company too, um, and then how often that you're updating the rest of the stuff too. So it may not just be that they're looking at the uh, the developing early stage deals um, in the next quarter. They could be looking at everything in the next quarter, and we've all seen it as sales leaders or as AEs to where we have, you know, let's say they're looking at six months out, but we push all the early stuff that you know it could happen next year. We push it to the seventh month, and then we move to the next quarter. We move it to the ninth month, and there's kind of this mass push of pipeline. Um, mm-hmm. Always take you know once a month, even uh, take some time, look at those deals that are pushed out to the next year or the next six months, and make sure those are at the right stage and they're the right deals. It's always a good practice too to have uh, kind of a deal ready whenever you kill a deal. So let's say you got a deal out there that's seven months away or two months away, um, and you 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 know that deal for whatever reason is dead, and you can pull another deal in. Um, it's good to be thinking about it in those kind of terms to have a consistent pipeline that just can, kind of has good continuous growth. We've talked about this on many different shows. You know, this is just being a pro. This is just being good at what mm-hmm. you do. This is just you owning your business. And I think I've debated this with many people, but what's the difference between pipeline and forecast? I think people struggle, or maybe some people think it's the same thing, and they're really not the same thing. I think pipeline is that stuff that's way out there, bigger, things that you're building, things that aren't qualified yet. You're filling that funnel. It's the top two levels of that funnel. And your forecasts are the last two or three levels of that funnel. You're really... You, you, the deals are solidified. The, the eval plans are done kind of thing is really what your forecast is. Yeah, great point. And, and so to further the pipeline piece, because that is an important factor of how the forecast is derived, is every company has a coverage goal. You've got a coverage goal. Know what that is. 
you know, you're certainly the company you work for knows that in the next six months, if we have 2x, 3x, 4x, the, the pipeline we need will hit our revenue target. They know what that number is. They know it down to the decimal point, to the to the hundredth, probably. Probably, and the and coverage goal, it seems clear, but it's really that amount of pipeline you need to make your quota, right? So if if I have a million dollar quota, probably at the beginning of that quarter, I need to have line of sight to two or three million dollars in forecast or pipeline that should be aware of being closable in that quarter, right? Because the math says and history says I'm only going to get about a third of that um, because I've not done my work or whatever. Some businesses are different. Uh, I think I've always kind of ran at a two two and a half. I think that's what we've referenced in previous shows, right? Two and a half X my my quota um, in the current quarter is probably enough for me to get above my number. Yeah. Yeah, that, that actually is a great segue to the next uh topic, which is there's uh, there's a couple different forecasting types, and there are many forecasting types, but these are the two most prominent. Uh, weighted and absolute. So uh, if you think of weighted, that's really more of a coverage type forecast. So for example, if you have, um, let's say in the month of uh, December, you forecast two deals, and those deals are kind of at the 50% sales stage, because everyone has a different sales stage process. Let's say it's at a stage two or at a 40% or whatever and you forecast two deals, a weighted forecast, the way your your bosses and leadership look at it, is that you really just need to land one of those two deals to get there. That would be considered a weighted forecast because you multiply the revenue times the sell stage that it's at, which is in this case 50%, which means winning either of those two deals get you uh, to the number that they expect. Uh, that's, that's kind of a weighted forecast. An absolute forecast is where you forecast two deals, they expect you to get two deals. Most companies I've worked for, Bobby, um, I don't know if you feel the same way. Most companies I work for uh, work on more of a, a weighted forecast model. They do, and I think uh, kind of incorrectly, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but my, my my view and the way I've measured it always is is a weighted with with really the absolute deals, right? So it, mm-hmm. it would if you had ten deals that were all a hundred thousand dollars, that's a million bucks, and if they're all at fifty percent, your weighted forecast is five hundred grand. Well. I expect my team, and I've always expected myself even, and my teams, to get $500,000 out of those 10 deals. Mm-hmm. I think what some companies do is, and it's because of the throughput in most tech companies today, but most companies, what I see is, I need Bobby to get me a half million dollars. And, and what I see and what I saw a lot uh, at Dell EMC was, someone would stand up and they would forecast and call a half million dollars. And they would tell, you know, the deals would be on the board. And you could just take a picture of that. And at the end of the quarter, you know, the next quarterly review, they would have made a half million dollars and they would put their win wires or their 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 wins up there. And it would not be any of those 10 deals that they mm-hmm. had forecasted. So to me, that's luck. That's that's average at best. That They work for a company that sells a good product and $500,000 happen to be coming in through their channel, right? Their Their customer base. So I, I kind of like a weighted forecast, but I expect it to come from those absolute deals. And if it's not, then I'm, I clearly think someone's not able to run their business. The bluebird's always a good thing. That bluebird equals the, the, the deal that came in that no one knew about. But I think it should be a weighted forecast with the absolute deals that you're, you're forecasting that money from. Yeah, I, I say um, 
I, I agree with that. I think I, I look at it from a slightly different angle here too. I think, let's say you're forecasting five deals, and actually this is not a slightly different angle. It's the same. It's the same perspective, but maybe a different view on it. Uh, let's say you forecast um, um, three deals uh, for, for December, and uh, one of those deals uh, pushes. Um, another deal is a loss, and you win the the other deal. The the one that I don't like is the push. The losses happen. I'm a pragmatic person. Losses happen. They suck. I hurt as much as the AE hurts. The AE hurts probably more, right? Nobody wants to lose a deal, but it happens. And and that, that is the whole purpose of a weighted forecast. Now, what's frustrating, though, for any sales leader is a push when it's when it was a ridiculous assertion to say that the deal would close in the month anyway. Yeah, it's everybody like listening. The dates didn't line up. Everybody that's listening, you can really tell that Brian is a sales manager now because he's going <laughs> to highlight the push. Like the like the pushes should never happen anymore. But I bet if we went back and looked at Brian's forecast when he was an individual contributor, there were probably some pushes in that last quarter. No, I mean pushes happen. They are painful. I, I agree with you, Brian. Um, but well, it, let me it, let me interject. If, if they real had quick. the real good eval plan, let's go back to last week. If they had good eval plans, pushes probably shouldn't happen on a frequent schedule put I'm, I'm okay with a push happening in in the circumstance and maybe this is 50 percent of the circumstances where the the board can't meet and they had a scheduled meeting but they're made they're making an acquisition like those are completely uncontrollable circumstances but it when when it was because the eval plan wasn't tested and it was like um yeah we're working towards this date and the customer says we're working towards what date mm-hmm. i can't do this until the board meeting that's in January. Sure. Yeah, okay. I give that to you. That's laziness. That's average. That's worse Absolutely. than average. Um, what about what about when the sales leader jumps over the sales rep, calls the customer, and offers them some sort of sweet deal if they can just get it done this quarter? Right. That is the worst, and I've seen it happen. Um, but yeah, almost all those deals world. get pushed as well because now we've set this really awkward precedence, and we've lost. We just given the company's money away. So. If you're a sales leader and you're listening, please don't do that to your reps. Yeah, that's a world I can't live in. Mm. And that's why I don't live there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that becomes the starting point. Whatever number they were given becomes Mm -hmm. the starting point for the next month. Yep. Um, Yeah, so understand. We're, you know, like, you don't have to be, you're not uh, blowing smoke if if you're asking your sales leader about, like, how how this he or she forecasts what's important to, to them. Uh, it helps, and you, you'll if you leave your forecasting call with your leadership, and you've got twenty changes to make to your forecast. You've got there's a learning opportunity there, but if it's like one or two adjustments, you're you're nailing it. I'd say that's like the the rough review of kind of of how the forecast goes. Yeah, and I'd even say if you if you can do that in the tool and make them real time, then you're a star. Yes, you're a star. Oh, totally. It takes the the action off of them. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so we talked about uh, why it's important important in the mind of a sales leader, and so Bobby, let's spend a few minutes about how to excel at it. Yep. Uh, because we really covered a lot of this in the previous uh, series here around evaluation plans. So the first is that is to have a very strong evaluation plan. Better yet. Attach that to the opportunity itself. If you want to show that you're in control of the deal and reduce the amount of questions that are coming out about it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the elaborate 
Excel spreadsheet. It doesn't have to be a three-page email. It can be a next demo is on this date. The customer has contracts. We're waiting red lines. The board meeting is on the 22nd. They're going to make a go-no-go that week. And then we, I t- we're going to attempt to have signatures past that. Like that, that can be, that's, that's, uh, how long would that take you to type? Probably mm. 30 seconds. Maybe, <laughs> if that. maybe. And you know, I can, I can talk to any seller today and, and really probably in that same 30 seconds, understand whether or not they have a realistic shot at closing a deal. Too many people are doing it on gut. That gut is not the probabilities that we were talking about earlier from a, uh, a weighted forecast perspective. You should be doing the work, having the verifiable outcomes that are very specific, dates, times, action items that you can measure to make sure everyone's working towards a win. And deals inherently have risk. Call that risk out in the forecast too. I, I, If you don't work for a company that embraces pragmatism when it comes to managing deals, you should find another company or find another leader at the company. It, it's, an, it's an impossible scenario to run with if they if the sales leader genuinely doesn't understand that there are risks in these deals they're not being realistic because there are risks in all of these deals but call them out like look there's a board meeting on the 22nd but it's still really unclear if they're gonna recommend us or they're gonna recommend us plus the next competitor in case they don't like our price or, or if this is even or even them. if this is big enough to make the agenda for that board meeting i mean happens all the time these are rich Guys and and women that <laughs> that own these companies, and you know what? If there is a if there is a flight out to Hawaii the next day that they want to leave for, they're just gonna do it. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't see your tool as as worthy enough uh, necessarily uh, to to you know mind waiting another month to have that conversation. It can wait. risk, yeah, it can wait. Risk happens. Call it out in the forecast. And again, if you. If you're clear about that, man, I have never cared about that. Losses suck, uh, um, pushes suck, but for for a, a pragmatic leader, um, they happen. Um, we talked about the focusing on the next steps to get the signatures. What risk exists? Um, estimate the worst case uh, price on it. So, um, you know, if you got a deal uh, that's you know worth uh, 200k that you think is the best case scenario, don't forecast that 200K is the best case scenario. For, you know, And if you think the worst case is 150, maybe drop it in at 160. Um, be thoughtful about where it sits because there's a collective uh, number, bigger number, and if everyone is at their best case scenario, uh, you're setting up your, your sales leaders for failure and better yet, you're setting yourself up for failure. Are you are you advertising that you're a sandbagger there, Brian, just a little bit? I do agree. Yeah. I do agree with that. Yeah. I think I think that's smart and and better than than saying the two hundred thousand dollar deal is a thirty thousand dollar deal. Um, but I think that is where yeah. you have to be transparent with at least your next line manager, because I think if everyone makes that, that's about a twenty percent hit. If they're making that twenty percent inherently all the way up the chain of leadership, then the forecast is going to be wrong too. So at least have that conversation with your manager about what, what best and worst and mid case is. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, we talked about it in the first section, but, but don't dump deals in, you know, nine months out, be thoughtful about where they land and then reassess it on a monthly basis. You don't have to do that every week, but you know, at a, on a monthly basis, uh, Bobby, you, you do a good job of, we've talked about this in previous series to where it's like, let's say, you know, 
uh, company that you're prospecting into has a renewal and that renewal is out in, you know, in 2021, you'll, you'll pipe an opportunity in 2021. Uh, just take a quick look at those. Did you, were you unclear about where a renewal may occur, but then you gain clarity on that a few weeks later, that's an opportunity to go in and update it. Cause mm-hmm. what ultimately ends up happening is you have this pile of sand and this, you know, the deals being the sand and it just kind of keeps getting pushed out to the next quarter and then pushed out to the next quarter. Um, it doesn't look, what always happens is you'll, you'll have sales leaders on a call and they'll be looking at the deals that are further out and they'll see this huge glut of pipeline and be like, yeah, that's not real. Yep. And then they also, they, they also start getting deleted at some point and that's really bad. Mm-hmm. And then the risk of not having them in there is that uh, you might change rep roles and then the new rep that has no idea what's, what should have been or could have been done. All right. Uh, last on how to excel at it, and then Bobby, let's talk a couple minutes about the the kind of the future of forecasting and, and some things that are that are already here today um, as well. Uh, this was this had a huge impact for me. Uh, it was deconstructing and understanding and being thoughtful about a miss. Uh, I had a miss in London uh, last year on a deal that um, was a it was a big financials deal, and um, we had. Uh, all indications we had a good evaluation plan. All indications were that it, that that this deal was going to go down. We had forecasted it, and we had already pushed this deal once, so it had a bigger magnifying glass on it. Um, and then we we pushed it again. And I uh, sat down with the VP who had forecast the deal, and uh, you know I apologized for the miss. It doesn't look good on me. It doesn't look good on her. And deconstructed it. Like, here's where we missed. Like, here's how we improve that next time. And this had a huge impact for me from a career perspective. Because when I shared with her that I was moving back to the States to to be a sales director, um, she was great. She sat down with me and talked me through, okay, these are the things you need to know. Here's the important things. Here's, here's what your boss is going to be looking at. Um, but, you know, the better student you can be of this process. And this doesn't have to be a one-hour-a-week thing. We're talking five minutes Understanding how the business forecasts uh, forecast their business, um, it can have a pretty big impact uh, on your career. I can't disagree. All right, so let's talk about um, there. There was a, a pretty interesting tool out there. It's called Clary, um, and and you may have heard heard to listeners that uh, Microsoft about a year ago they announced that they're they don't really even do forecasting anymore. They've moved in a hundred percent to to machine learning and artificial intelligence for their forecast. Now they're a different beast because they're dealing with so much run rate business that when it comes to forecasting to wall Street, they know before it's even sold, what's going to happen over the next quarter. Mm-hmm. They're measuring and factoring in economic conditions. Uh, so that I would say that's kind of in a different category altogether. What is really cool and interesting though, is there's a tool called Clary and I'm sure there are competitors. Uh, and if you're looking to, move into an AI sales job, that may be an interesting company to, to look at and to work for potentially. But basically what it does is it hooks up to the company's email. And this, feel, this is going to feel a little bit big brother, Bobby. Let me know what you think about it. Okay. Hooks up to the company's email and it's measuring the sentiment of email communications that are going on on a specific deal. So let's say that you forecasted two deals in December. It has been, it has been looking at that email for months uh, the communication. So it's looking at the domain, any, any email exchange with that domain, um, their, their .com, right? 
Now, obviously, it's not reading text. So if you're a texter and you're texting back and forth with your coach, it's not picking that kind of stuff up, of course. It's reading the subject line. It's reading attachments. And it's also reading calendar invitations. So, Bobby, if you forecasted a deal in December, it's November, uh, towards the end of November, and um, and it's not seeing any sort of calendar invitations. It's not seeing attachments, which could be contracts. Um, the the sentiment is is not positive. It's scoring that deal pretty low. Yeah, I can see. I can you convince me that that could probably press, provide some pretty good <laughs> insights. You know, I, I start thinking about where you might be running multiple deals, and you know, the, the, it would be tough unless they could easily hide a little cookie in, in that email string, though, to know which deal is which and all that. I can definitely see where that could provide some insights, but more on the the not possibles, right? I'm not sure they can get the accuracy up on the higher end, but definitely those people that are overconfident that those deals will will look really bad in a tool like that for sure. Yeah, I think what it what it's driving to, and I don't I don't. No, I don't even know what their pitch is. So I'm really more making some assumptions here. It, at my level, I know, you know, all the folks that are on my team, and I know their deals, and I've met with most of their their customers or prospects, and I, like that tool is not going to provide me a lot of value, right? But to my boss's boss's boss, who mm-hmm. is looking at a portfolio of 300 deals, and he starts to get quarterly breakdowns or even monthly breakdowns of of, okay, we have X number of deals at a 32% and some at 60. It's, it's going to start to provide some pretty interesting analytics for, no doubt. for no at, doubt. A, at a pretty high level. And so it's coming and know that your email is, is probably being looked at for more than one reason. Uh, so, so be thoughtful. There's there. a few trials of that running out there right now. I can assure you. I would say so. So with that, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Don't be an average forecaster. If you got any questions on this, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Or if you got any show ideas for coming up in the future, let us know as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.techsaleshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Sales Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.